It is over, but never have I been so close to defeat. Never have I faced an enemy who was so thoroughly ruthless, so incredibly powerful. And yet, some omnipotent power has so arranged the universe that good must always prevail. For every mighty villain, there is a mightier hero. For every menacing enemy of mankind, there is a fighting Avenger. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the second episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we'll recap the adventures of the Good Doctor, 12 issues at a time. Before we start, let me quickly recap what we went over last week. Stephen Strange was an arrogant and rich surgeon until a car crash cost him the use of his hands. Seeking a cure, Strange found his way to the Temple of the Ancient One, either in Tibet or in the Tibet-adjacent Himalayas. Eventually, Strange began studying magic magic under the Ancient One, and after a few years became a master of either black magic or the mystic arts, depending on what issue it is. Other characters include Strange's master, the Ancient One, the reoccurring villains Nightmare, the master of evil dreams, and Baron Mordo, Strange's former co-pupil under the Ancient One, and general evil wizard. You know he's evil, because while Doctor Strange has a mustache, Mordo has a goatee. Last week, I mentioned that Strange had kind of an Asian look about the way he was drawn. At this point, he's largely lost that and will vacillate in looks between Clark Gable in Gone with the Wind and Charles Bronson in Death Wish by way of Vincent Price in most everything. I should also mention that at this point, Strange Tales is an anthology comic. The second half is Doctor Strange and his adventure, and the front half is Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm, the Human Torch and the Thing from the Fantastic Four. Thing is a big orange rock monster. The Torch can turn himself into fire, fly, and shoot fireballs. This means most of his enemies have to use stuff made out of asbestos against him. The only non-flammable substance that they knew about in the Marvel bullpen circa the 1960s. All the credits for the creators in this episode are as they appear in the start of the stories. I wanted to include them because I find them delightful. Remember, you can read along with the podcast in a couple of ways. All the issues of this episode are on Marvel and limited, and most are collected in either the first volume of Essential Doctor Strange or Marvel Masterworks Doctor Strange. And here we go. Strange Tales number 123, August 1964. Doctor Strange takes up half the cover of this one. We're getting big time. Uh, the Human Torch, along with the Thing, fights the Beetle. Rings of Fire are employed. Uh, there's also an in-universe picture of Stan Lee at this point, which is kind of fun. He's pretty young because it's 1964. At this point, the first story changes from just the Human Torch to the Human Torch and the Thing, so get clobberin'. For the main attraction, we have The Challenge of Loki by Stan, Miracle Man, Lee, Steve, Marvel Man, Ditko, inked by George, Mystical Man, Bell, and lettered by Art, Magical Man, Simic. The opening page tells us that Ditko is drawing in the style of Jolly Jack Kirby, and it does look fairly different, and more like the Thor story we'll see in our next issue. So it's kind of funny for me that last issue I mentioned that the Human Torch Iceman story didn't feature them thinking the other was a bad guy and them fighting for a few pages because that's exactly what this story is about. While levitating in his study, Doctor Strange is contacted by Loki. This is, of course, a classic Loki with the green and gold and the hat with the giant horns. Loki's currently on house arrest in Asgard but wants to get back 
Thor. He intends to use Doctor Strange for the greatest evil of all, evil by proxy. Uh, Loki sends a spirit version of himself covered in chains. He tells Doctor Strange that Thor is actually evil, and Loki is just trying to help out humanity. Strange is skeptical, but in a classic D&D move, he casts Detect Evil on the chains binding Loki and finds them to be evil. He doesn't know that Loki made the chains himself because Loki is like a great trickster, alright? Just go with it. Uh, anyway, the general plan is that using a sliver from Thor's leather thong uh, that hangs from his hammer, I should say, Doctor Strange summons a giant flying metal hand that snags the hammer while Thor is flying, causing Thor to plummet to his seeming death. But during that time, Doctor Strange also casts Detect Evil on the hammer, which is still a classic D&D move, and finds out that there isn't any evil there, which means the evil is coming from inside the house! This leads to a showdown between Strange and a spirit projection of the god Loki, and unlike other fights we've seen, in this one Strange is pretty much completely outmatched. He's able to barely escape a mystic cage using his amulet. Then he uses a new power, making a bunch of illusory copies of himself to buy enough time to return the Uru Hammer to Thor with a cool rhyming spell, Hammer of Thor. Return to your master, though he is falling, you travel faster. Uh, Strange then tries to take out Loki by throwing the gem that leads beyond the purple veil at Loki to try to trap him, but Loki easily shatters it, which I'm not sure if the gem was a gateway to that realm or if it was actually within the gem itself, but either way, it's gone now. We then see another new power from Strange, a mystic shield from his amulet that, that starts to get glass-like cracks as it takes damage. But before the shield can be destroyed, Thor does a flyby of the Sanctum Sanctorum, and Loki flees, saved by the bell. Doctor Strange reflecting on this fight is the lines I said in the beginning of this podcast. Alright, Journey into Mystery number 108, September 1964. At the mercy of Loki, Prince of Evil. Written by Stan Lee, the idol of millions. Illustrated by Jack Kirby, the toast of the town. Inked by Chick Stone, the man of the hour. Lettered by Art Simek, the people's choice. Crossover turnaround! So now we're in Thor's comic and it's a good time. So just to recap, um, this is the literal ancient Norse god Thor. He's got a winged hat and a sweet hammer. The one played by Chris Hemsworth in the movies. A big thing to know about Silver Age Thor, especially if you're most familiar with him from modern comics or movies, is that he started his career as a very heavy secret identity comic. Donald Blake turns into Thor by hitting his walking stick against the ground, and the interplay between the lives of Blake and Thor are a pretty big part of this issue, even as it relates to Doctor Strange. Uh, so basically, Thor's out heroing around New York City one day. It starts with him causing a semi-major earthquake to keep a truck from running over a kid. Uh, don't worry, folks. If your stuff was damaged, call Avengers HQ for reimbursement. Yes, it says that in the comic. So Thor hears a psychic distress call from none other than Doctor Strange, who is apparently near death after fending off an attack from Mordo. Thor calls an ambulance with a phone in one hand and his mighty hammer in the other. It's a pretty fun picture. And then he changes into his human identity of Donald Blake, 
medical doctor. Blake performs some surgery on Strange or something. It's clear that only Blake's extra knowledge of unearthly stuff from being Thor himself allows him to save Strange. Meanwhile, in Asgard, Odin and company are about to go to war or something. It's not super clear, but Odin definitely summons Thor to battle. But obviously Thor can't go because Blake is busy saving Strange's life, but Blake can't communicate that while in his human form. So instead, Odin just sends a bunch of thunderstorms and stuff to Earth, which is why you should always keep a spiritual away message so people know you're busy. Always leave a note. With Odin away fighting, Loki sees his chance and heads down to Earth disguised as a bee to avoid the all-seeing eyes of Heimdall. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange has survived surgery and offers to help Blake in any way he can. Blake walks over to his office where he bumps into an old guy with an identical walking stick. The old guy throws a walking stick out the window and reveals himself to be... Yeah, it's Loki. Uh, obviously, guys, come on. Loki kidnaps Blake's girlfriend slash nurse, Jane Foster, and mentions that the stick he threw out the window was actually Blake, so Blake can't turn into Thor. We're in trouble. This whole section kind of raises an interesting point about Silver Age Thor. Like, usually superheroes have one key reason to have a secret identity, and that's to protect their loved ones from their super enemies. But Loki definitely knows that Thor is Don Blake, and he's definitely threatening Blake's loved ones. So what's the point of not at least telling his nearest and dearest that he's also Thor? I think Don Blake might be kinda messed up. Anyhow, with a walking stick gone and Asgard not taking his calls, Blake is in a lot of trouble. His only hope is our boy, Doctor Strange. He asks Strange to help him find his walking stick. And Strange does! The walking stick is being used as a fishing pole by some bums down at the pier. I, I guess. Uh, Blake grabs the stick and Strange scares the bums off using his astral form as a ghost. Then it's time to Thor! Both Odin and special guest stars, the dang Avengers, stop Thor on his way to his showdown with Loki asking if they can help, but Thor's gotta do this one on his own. He tracks Loki to the Adirondack Mountains, and they have a big forest-based fight. There's a lot of tree clearing, a lot of boulder breaking. As they fight, Doctor Strange uses his mystic ability to save Jane Foster in limbo. Uh, I'm not sure where this limbo is, maybe it's in relation to the five or six other places in the Marvel Universe is called limbo. Go with it. Eventually, Thor punches Loki in the face enough to make him free Foster, and Thor and Odin apologize to each other for not answering the God Phone and overreacting to the God Phone not being answered respectively. Good Thor times. This issue ends with a tale of Asgard called Trapped by the Trolls, but it's mostly important for young Thor's sweet burgundy fur shirt. Alright, Strange Tales number 124, September 1964. Oh snap! It's the return of Pastepot Pete. <laughs> Pete has had a gritty reboot since getting out of prison. So, he helped the Avengers fight Zemo when Zemo had a glue-based weapon. It's a whole thing. Anyhow, now he's got a green helmet and a purple vest, pair of gloves, and pair of boots. He's extremely boss. So, he fights Human Torch and the Thing in various glue-based ways until the Thing rips off the ceiling of the room they're fighting in and Pete surrenders. Go back to the beret, Pete. That's the key. Uh, meanwhile, Doctor Strange discovers The Lady from Nowhere, written inside a haunted house by Stan Lee, illustrated inside a gypsy's tent by Steve Ditko, inked inside a hidden cave by George Bell, 
Lettered Inside, Because It Was Raining Outside, by S. Rosen. Uh, this one is kind of weird. Doctor Strange is flying over the city and mysteriously detects a trace of magical energy. He follows it and finds a mysterious woman in purple robes with a veil over her face. Anyway, he uses mystical abilities to guide her back to the Sanctum Sanctorum where he uses the mystic eye from his amulet to magic scanner. He finds magic. So it's time to fly to the distant east and check with the Ancient One about what's going on. The Ancient One has apparently seen this kind of thing before and knows that Doctor Strange has to go back in time which is like a big deal so he's got to ask the ancient one's permission for it and he says yes of course so good times let's go traveling back in the past this will require the use of a magic candle probably a different one from the ones that trapped doctor strange a few issues ago but that's sort of how it goes it's the basic thing um you got to come back before the candle goes out or your stuff in the past forever you can figure it out on your own strange goes back in time where he meets the evil zota zota has gray skin and green robes and a lot of red circle imagery including on his forehead and like these red triangles coming off his shoulders and big earrings and necklaces for a fairly fearsome look so in the past zota and dr strange get in a big wizard duel and the candle is burning down in the present, but what with one thing and another, Doctor Strange triumphs. These old school guys are no match for modern magical practices. Doctor Strange seals Zota's magical powers. He will do magic no longer. Uh, we'll see Zota again doing magic in Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme in September 1991. Strange flies back out, but obviously the candle's burning out, and he barely makes it. He's got to use his magical amulet to make it through as the candle goes out, as he tries to escape. It's a standard thing where, you know, you disarm a bomb, but it always gets disarmed with, like, a second left. So Doctor Strange returns to the present, and with Zota vanquished, he can lift the spell on the mysterious woman. And it turns out that it's Cleopatra. Like the actual historical Cleopatra that's been sent to the future by Zoda, so I guess he could take over Egypt. It's it's weird. Anyhow, Doctor Strange sends Cleopatra back to Egypt, and it's good times. See you next time. Which takes us to Strange Tales number 125, October 1964. The Human Torch and the Thing fight Namor. Uh, they actually kick his butt pretty handily. But then it turns out that Namor was on his way to the mainland to have peace talks with, with Reed Richards. So now they all look like jerks. Uh, note, the Fantastic Four may in fact actually be jerks. Also, this episode starts with a thing trying to swat the torch with an asbestos rug. Woo, asbestos! Alright, Mordo must not catch me. How proud we are that Stan Lee wrote this sensational thriller. How fortunate we are that Steve Ditko drew these magical masterpieces. How triumphant we are that George Bell inked these priceless panels. How ecstatic we are that Art Simek lettered these deathless phrases. Okay, this is a quick one. But after this, Doctor Strange Silver Age gets real, and we start having a bunch of really cool all-time classic stories. So deal with this one, and it'll be excellent going forward. This one's basically one big chase. It starts with Doctor Strange chilling in the Sanctum Sanctorum, and he's attacked by some of Mordo's goons. And because the goons normally wouldn't attack him in this situation, Doctor Strange checks the Eye of Agamotto, his Earth Scanner thing, to see if there's any danger anywhere. And there's danger in the 
Ancient One's place near Tibet. So Strange scans the walls of the Ancient One's temple and sees that the Ancient One is missing. As he scans, Mordos enters the room in the Sanctum Sanctorum and says that he's captured the Ancient One and is holding him hostage. Strange's only recourse is to go to his astral form and flee. Mordo gives chase and they have a big chase and wizard duel all around the world. You see them fighting over ocean liners and then among some European castles, the Eiffel Tower, then in Egypt, somewhere in India, and eventually they make their way to a jungle in the Himalayas where Doctor Strange finds the imprisoned Ancient One with Mordo hot on his heels. So there's another big magic jewel here and actually it looks pretty cool. There's a bunch of like black tentacles trying to break through Doctor Strange's crackling magical shield. Eventually they take turns wrapping each other in darkness and then light and finally Doctor Strange defeats Mordo and Mordo is cowering on the floor completely beaten. Like to the point that the Ancient One basically calls him a punk and it seems like the end of Mordo. I mean if he's gonna have any chance of Beating Doctor Strange is going to have to really up his skills. The balance of power has finally shifted. Strange frees the Ancient One, and uh, that's kind of it, I guess. Strange Tales, number 126, from November 1964. The Human Torch and, and the Thing are menaced by both the Mad Thinker and the Puppet Master. It's kind of whatever, basically, except for one scene where Johnny Storm is falling to his death and the Thing is so freaked out trying to save him, he spontaneously changes back to normal human Ben Grimm for... reasons? Anyhow, here we go, okay. The Domain of Dread Dormammu, written by Stan Lee, Prince of Prestidigitation, illustrated by Steve Ditko, Lord of Legendarmain, lettered by Artis Emek, Nabob of Necromancy. Here's a thing you have to know about the next few issues of Doctor Strange. There'll be one big continuing serial, actually starting from the last issue. This issue starts with Doctor Strange returning to his body after the fight with Mordo in Strange Tales number 125, and he'll barely get a break from here on out. It's just going to be one continuing story with extremely small amounts of time passing from issue to issue. It's crazy. I love it. So, again, we open with Doctor Strange returning to his body in astral form from the fight. But then, as soon as he arrives, he's teleported back to the Ancient One's temple, where the Ancient One is being threatened by a ghostly form that we find out is a representative from the demon the dread Dormammu, who is basically calling the Ancient One out. But the Ancient One is too tired from being kidnapped and stuff, so now it's up to Doctor Strange to settle Dormammu's hash. Strange goes to the Dark Dimension, home of Dormammu, and from here on out, it's basically all crazy Steve Ditko art. There's big monsters and crazy tree bridges and islands in space, and it's very cool, starting with this big red monster that basically just scans Doctor Strange. Meanwhile, Dormammu himself shows up. Dormammu's got a really distinctive look as a Doctor Strange villain. It's all purple and red with big shoulders and stuff and like this huge flaming head where you can't really see his face because it's just sort of like inside the flame. Later we'll find out that the flame is actually less a part of Dormammu being a crazy monster and more the symbol of rulership for the Dark Dimension. Other characters will become rulers of the Dark Dimension and they'll have the flames behind their head as well. We know Dormammu is a bad guy however because as soon as he shows up, he immediately kills one of his own people for questioning the fight with Doctor Strange. 
the remainder of this and actually the next issue is kind of video game-esque. It's Doctor Strange fighting a series of increasingly harder bosses and going from level to level and obstacle to obstacle until finally fighting the ultimate boss, Stormammu, at which point he will literally level up and get new equipment. Initially, he fights a yellow guy who gets bigger and bigger as Doctor Strange shoots energy beams at it until finally he shoots an energy beam so powerful the little guy blows up because I guess Doctor Strange can put out more energy than you can handle. Strange then deals with the dwellers below where he falls into a flying purple carpet and there's a bunch of guys with cobwebs in the carpet and they try to trap him in there as some kind of new dimension within a dimension, but Strange manages to blast his way out of that as well. It's during this time we meet this mysterious girl in the dark dimension. She wears pink and black with pointy shoulder pads with stars on them and these tights with a bunch of swirls on them and has a really distinctive haircut that kind of looks like swirly goat horns or something. We won't learn this character's name until 1966, but I'll tell you right now that her name is Clea and she's going to be the Doctor's big love interest, apprentice, slash the girl in this comic for the rest of time. Where's Clea or what's Clea like is the first question you see in alternate versions of Doctor Strange. Internet rumors say that Rachel McAdams is going to be playing her in the new movie, but we'll see. Basically, she'll always show up and she's the big love of Doctor Strange's life. Like I said, I'm spoiling you here by calling her Clea now instead of just calling her the girl for the next 20 issues or so, but I think you'll be okay. At this point, all the different bad guys start to blend together. There's a bunch that Doctor Strange is able to beat in one or two panels. They aren't that difficult, and Clay is constantly following his progress. Eventually, as Doctor Strange is about to enter the throne room of Dormammu, Clea tries to stop him, but Doctor Strange says, No, I have pledged my life to battling evil. There can be no greater calling. So he continues into the, into the throne room, and we end with a cliffhanger of Dormammu and Doctor Strange about to throw down. All right, Strange Tales number 127, December 1964. The Human Torch and the Thing fight the mystery villain. Spoiler! Uh, it's Reed Richards, the Mr. Fantastic in disguise, screwing with the boys. Uh, this is kind of technically the plot of the previous story, too, if you think about it. Reads crazy. I, I don't know. Anyhow, Duel with the Dread Dormammu. Story by Stan Lee, Master of Macabre Menace. Art by Steve Ditko, Weaver of Wondrous Witchcraft. Lettered by S. Rosen, Sultan of Speedball Sorcery. It's the start of the fight of the century. Doctor Strange vs. Dormammu. And, like a true G, Dormammu gives Doctor Strange a few minutes before the fight think about the fate that awaits him. Uh, during this time, he's visited by Clea, who takes him to see the lay of the land inside the Dark Dimension and give him some extra knowledge that Doctor Strange might not have. It's an interesting motivation for her because she's trying to convince Doctor Strange not to fight, not because Doctor Strange will lose, but because if he wins, it could be really damaging to the Dark Dimension itself. She introduces him to the long-term bad guy of the, of the Dark Dimension. They're always off in the distance being a threat. The Mindless Ones. The Mindless Ones are these big rock dudes and they don't have any facial features or distinguishing characteristics except they all have a big red line on their face that can shoot beams. Very Cyclops of the X-Men. All they know is fighting and they fight each other constantly. The only thing that keeps them out of the Dark Dimension is a force field. 
that Dormammu maintains. That's why he's the king of the dimension, because he keeps everybody safe from the mindless ones. Because of this, Clea begs Doctor Strange not to kill Dormammu, because otherwise they'll be killed by the mindless ones. And it's kind of a conundrum for Strange. He's got to figure out a way to win this fight, but still maintain uh, peace inside the Dark Dimension but also while protecting Earth from Dormammu's threatened invasion. The fight begins, and the first thing we see is that Clea has been captured by Dormammu. She's in the screen, Diamond of Chains, and Dormammu says she'll be the next to die after Doctor Strange. The fight is on, and it's similar, actually, to the fight with Loki, where Doctor Strange is really outmatched, and he's barely able to hold his own. Uh, his spells will work for a second, but then Dormammu's able to overcome them pretty easily. But even Dormammu is impressed by Doctor Strange's courage and valor that allows him to keep punching, or I guess keep matching away in the face of Dormammu, whose power is overwhelming. It's basically a Rocky IV kind of thing where Dormammu is Drago and way stronger, but Strange is all about endurance and lasting long enough to get an opening. It's not a bad strategy, because in the end, what's going to happen is the strain of fighting Doctor Strange distracts Dormammu so much that he drops the barrier around the Mindless Ones. They start wrecking up the place, and the alarm goes off, and Dormammu's like, time out, I got more important things to do. <laughs> uh, he tries to put a barrier back up, but it's not strong enough, and the Mindless Ones are still advancing. Finally, Doctor Strange realizes something, and he uses his power to help Dormammu block out the Mindless Ones. The Dark Dimension is safe, and Dormammu is humbled because he needed Doctor Strange's help to keep them out. Strange realizes that while Dormammu is a crazy, extra-dimensional, evil god-being, he also has a code of honor, and his word is bond, like Rakim. Strange makes him promise two things. One, to pardon Clea and not to harm her ever again, and two, never invade the Earth. Dormammu is like, fine, you got lucky helping me out, and I'm bound by my word, but this isn't the end of this. Strange offers Clea a chance to come back to Earth, and she's like, no, my place is here, as you do when you're a dimensional nice lady. Uh, Strange returns home, and the Ancient One has this purple and blue chest, and he says that Strange has earned some new magical items as a reward for defeating Dormammu and saving the Earth. First is a new amulet. This one is a circular one that's replacing the square one he was using up until this point, and the other is a cloak of levitation. It's pretty boss, actually. It's a, it's a red cloak, and it's got some gold stuff on the back, and it, it's cloak of levitation. It lets you fly, but it can also be like the magic carpet in uh, the Disney movie Aladdin, if you know what I mean. But the whole thing is kind of like when you beat the level of a video game and now you get new gear and it's different and you look way cooler. This amulet and the Cloak of Levitation are going to be with Doctor Strange pretty much until the mid-2000s when he loses the title of Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, that's a story for another day. Key thing is that Dormammu is vanquished never to return to Earth ever again. Or at least for another three issues, we'll see. Strange Tales, number 128, January 1965. The Human Torch and the Thing versus Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. This one's actually pretty similar to Strange Tales, number 125, as the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are actually trying to leave the Brotherhood of Mutants and go straight, but no one ever gives them a shot, especially not Torch and Thing, who seem to specialize in breaking up attempts at peace. Go, go, heroes! Also, the Thing wears an asbestos suit as part of a teamwork effort with the Torch. Woo, asbestos! The Dilemma of the Demon's Disciple, written by Stan Lee, unchallenged master of the dramatic word, drawn by Steve Ditko, unquestioned innovator of occult illustration. 
lettered by Artie Simek, unabashed purveyor of the captivating caption. So I've been talking about this part of Doctor Strange being like a video game, and this issue is a continuation of that. It's sort of the part in a video game after you get a new equipment or ability, and they put you in a situation where the perfect response to that situation is to use your new equipment or ability. Basically just Doctor Strange up against an evil magician called the Demon. He'll be known as Demonicus when he starts working for Baron Mordo in a few issues. But for now, it's mostly just, hey, uh, come look at how powerful my new amulet is and how my cloak of levitation lets me fly around like I'm a flying cool guy and so on. There's kind of some fun stuff when the demon's disciple arrives at Doctor Strange's door to tell him that to tell the doctor that the demon is evil and then the demon teleports the disciple away but leaves all of his clothes behind. The demon just decided he wanted his disciple to be naked to be killed or whatever. Uh, then Doctor Strange uses the left behind clothes of the disciple to find the demon by animating them and following them back to the demon's house. House. And that's pretty much it. Besides the fact that this episode ends with the exclamation, uh, Taman should, which I think means the end in Persian, but is also part of a famous Australian murder case? I don't know, man. So we move on to Strange Tales number 129 from February 1965. It's the torch and the thing rematching against the terrible trio. I realize I didn't tell you what they did last time we saw them. So there's Yogi Decor, who has a flying carpet and a rope, rope tricks and is generally kind of racist. There's Handsome Harry, who has super sensitive hearing and is a con man. And Bull Brogan, who is the muscle. Like I said, Yogi Decor can do rope tricks and his rope is made out of asbestos. So another asbestos sighting. Both the torch and the thing end up being tied to the railroad tracks. But it's really just subway tracks. And so the thing is way strong enough to kick the tram away, away from running over them with a mighty woom twang with two o's and two n's beware tyboro the tyrant of the sixth dimension edited by stan lee and his magic typewriter script by don rico and his magic fountain pen illustrated by steve ditko and his miraculous lead pencil lettered by sam rosen and his melancholy penpoint uh, so the Tale of Tyboro is sort of a mashup of two other stories we saw previously. First is the haunted house from the House of Shadows, and the other is the purple gem that took us beyond the purple veil. So there's this late night talk show in New York City called The Twelfth Hour, and they've invited Doctor Strange on to debate the nature of magic and how it can coexist with science. We're basically talking your uh, Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson type thing. They make a big deal saying, we believe only what we can see, test, and prove. All else is nonsense. Which is tough talk for a bunch of guys in a reality full of superheroes, frankly. Anyway, Doctor Strange doesn't respond to this. He's comfortable in his magic and doesn't feel the need to prove himself on TV. The TV guys up the ante by bringing out an idol that was found in Peru. Since they don't have Doctor Strange on to question, presumably the show will just be the three hosts yelling theodicies at the idol for an hour? I don't know. Uh, but suddenly, when they're filming, the lights go out. And when they come back on, 
the hosts of the 12th hour have disappeared. The producers of the TV show call Doctor Strange to investigate. Strange consults with the Ancient One about the idol, and it turns out that it's from an ancient evil dude named Taboro, who had a really awesome mask and a crazy cool scepter. Uh, it's technically an electroplasmic wand who ruled the Earth before human civilization. I guess he ruled a human civilization before our human civilization, and eventually killed them all, and so then all that's left is the idol. And at this point, it's pretty clear that Taboro has sucked the TV dudes into the idol. So Doctor Strange gives chase. <laughs> well, with one thing and another, Strange and Taboro meet up and they have a big wizard fight with the usual stuff you expect, except that at one point, Doctor Strange turns into a rock and Taboro breaks the rock and that somehow gives Doctor Strange the advantage and wins him the fight. It's a whole thing. In the end, Strange gets to Burrow to return the TV guys and wipes their memories, which I'm not sure I'm super okay with, ethically, but that's how we roll in the Silver Age. We roll with psychically and magically erased memories. <laughs> One big thing about Taboro is that he says his powers come from the downfall of civilization. So as civilization as a whole starts crumbling, he gains power. And apparently our civilization is crumbling. And while I don't know if I disagree, I know you don't have to be a jerk about it, Taboro. Strange promises that he'll try to keep civilization from crumbling. And Taboro ends up being cool with this, but tells Strange to be aware that he'll be back. And he will be back about four years later in Doctor Strange number seven. So, Domo Arigato, Mr. Taboro. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Strange Tales number 130, March 1965. Strange gets half the cover again. We're moving on up. Meanwhile, Torch and The Thing are going to see the Beatles play, but then there's a payroll heist and they do that instead though their girlfriends go to the show the Beatles themselves show up two or three times in this comic but they don't say anything it's just like pictures of them this is about a year after they were on the Ed Sullivan show and it feels a lot like Stan Lee trying to reach out to the youths of today who are you know currently the grown-ups of yesterday and what they're interested in I don't think it's super successful also at one point uh, Johnny Storm gets so wet that he can't activate his powers and apparently the only way to dry himself off fast enough is to seriously electrocute himself which fair enough I guess all right the defeat of Doctor Strange. Written by the Nabob of the Netherworld, Stan Lee. Illustrated by the Sultan of the Supernatural, Steve Ditko. Lettered by the Overlord of Occult, Arnie Semek. Okay, this is the start of the big one. After some experience with multi-issue serials, this is the start of one that will last for over a year, from issue 130 to 143. There'll be some individual stories here and there, but for the most part, you can draw a direct line from when one event happens to another, with no doubt time or pauses between issues it's just one big thing so let's get started we open with Mordo making a deal with an unseen force to get extra magical power as well as a new outfit that's kind of like a circus performer I guess Mordo and two of his goons arrive at the ancient ones temple where Doctor Strange also happens to be showing off his illusion skills Mordo and goons start attacking Doctor Strange and the ancient one and they're way more powerful than usual you might remember earlier in the show it was clear that any future attacks by Morda would be futile as Doctor Strange had beat him completely but suddenly the tide has changed and he's really kicking butt completely. The Ancient One is knocked out and Doctor Strange manages to just escape from Mordo by flying into the mountains of the Himalayas. Then we see the mysterious force giving Mordo his new powers and it's 
freaking Dormammu. While Dormammu's pledge to never invade Earth or attack Doctor Strange again, apparently attacking him through proxy is totally fine within Dormammu's sense of ethics. After hearing that Strange has escaped, Dormammu gives Mordo an army of spirit ninjas to find Doctor Strange. So Doctor Strange stashes the Ancient One with a hermit, and then he goes on the run. We see Mordo calling upon all the magic users of the Marvel Universe, to all the dabblers of the mystic arts, to all the practitioners of black magic throughout the world. He basically asks them to uh, rat out Doctor Strange if they see him. Doctor Strange stops in Hong Kong in the house of Sen Yu, a minor magic user who might show up from time to time going forward. Sen Yu gives Doctor Strange a new suit, which Strange changes into so he can be more incognito, hiding his cloak of levitation in his sport coat so he can still fly if the mood takes him. So disguised, he goes on the run only to be immediately found by other magicians. They all try to capture him, but Strange uses a couple of his spells, including the making multiple copies of himself spell and the rings of Ragador to trap a magician. The story ends with Doctor Strange running into the Hong Kong night to be continued next issue. Strange Tales number 131, April 1965. Human Torch and the Thing take on the Mad Thinker who's honestly kind of boring to me. Uh, he mostly makes plans and watches them be foiled by superheroes on TV screens. I'm not a huge fan of the Mad Thinker when his android isn't around and his android is just this giant dude with gray skin and a head that looks like a giant featureless cube of silly putty. It's awesome. But now we go to The Hunter and the Hunted, written in Stygian Swampland by Stan Lee, drawn in a dismal dungeon by Steve Ditko, lettered in a conjurer's castle by Artie Simek. Uh, this is another quick one because it's sort of a rehash of the second half of the previous issue. Doctor Strange is on the run in Hong Kong. Mordo sends his minions to find him and gets the Hong Kong underworld to help them. But by using his magic powers, Doctor Strange is able to escape. He manages to board a plane and after some cool mid-air magic fighting in astral form that no one else in the plane can see, Doctor Strange manages to lose the tail from Mordo and his army of spirit ninjas. Doctor Strange vows to learn the source of of Mordo's incredibly increased power. Until I do, my life is forfeit if I dare make one mistake. Though Strange Tales number 132 uh, May 1965. This one's kind of weird. The Human Torch and the Thing go undercover to take down Operation Paperclip. Uh, basically, there's a NASA scientist who is evil, like wearing a monocle evil, and they have to reveal his evil, and doing this involves Johnny Storm going up into space in a space capsule, and Ben Grimm trying to pretend to be someone other than the Thing, which is crazy because he's a big orange rock dude all the time, and that's noticeable. I'm just saying. Face to face at last with Baron Mordo. Though there be many writers, none but Stan Lee could have penned this tale. Though there be many artists, none but Steve Ditko could have drawn this tale. Though there be many letterers, none but R.T. Simak was available when we needed him. Doctor Strange returns to New York and finds that his Sanctum Sanctorum has been taken over by one of Mordo's goons. Actually, it's the demon from earlier this episode. He's now working for Mordo. It's also interesting because no one really calls this out. It's just a treat for faithful readers, I guess. 
Meanwhile, throughout this, we see the Ancient One on his sickbed, and he keeps shouting the name ETERNITY, which will be a big deal for next week's show. Doctor Strange tries to get into the mansion, but the demon is waiting for him, and Strange knows that he can't get in without fully alerting the demon and Mordo to his presence in New York. So instead, Doctor Strange goes the sneaky route goes to a costume shop and buys a sweet evil magician costume. It's yellow and purple and has a special goatee instead of Strange's normal mustache. It's extremely excellent. Disguised once again, Doctor Strange goes to the door of the Sanctum Sanctorum and knocks loudly, demanding that Doctor Strange meet him in a wizard's duel. The demon tries to get rid of the disguised Doctor Strange, but nothing doing. Eventually, the demon lets Doctor Strange in to the Sanctum Sanctorum, at which point Strange punches the demon right in the face, which is high-quality magic. Strange then attempts to use the Orb of Agamotto to find Mordo, but it's been trapped. And instead, Mordo flies out to find Doctor Strange. Note that as this happens, we see Dormammu both powering up to help Mordo defeat Doctor Strange and also laying out his plan to eventually betray Mordo. Big surprise. We also see Clea having a premonition about Doctor Strange, that he is on the threshold of his doom. So Mordo and Strange have a big wizard duel, and Mordo wins pretty easily. Dormammu forces Mordo to allow Dormammu to do the final coup de grace on Strange, and as he does, Doctor Strange finally realizes who's been giving Mordo the extra power. But as he realizes this, we see Doctor Strange's face spiral into blackness, becoming a question mark. What will happen next issue? It's a big cliffhanger! Let's go there now! Strange Tales, number 133, June 1965. Half the cover again, doing nice. The Torch and the Thing fight the Puppet Master. Uh, the Puppet Master has been turning people into mannequins at a big department store in New York City. The boys take their girlfriends there for shopping and stuff, and then the boys end up being kidnapped. The Puppet Master has made a big cage to trap the Thing and an ice-shooting fembot to take out the Torch. All seems lost until the boys do a classic castling maneuver where they switch foes and are able to beat them. The Puppet Master is also apparently now dead, turned into a mannequin, though presumably that won't stick. Woo, Silver Age! A nameless land. A timeless time. Strange is the script, written by Stan Lee. Awesome is the art by Steve Ditko. Lilting is the lettering by S. Rosen. At the start of this issue, we learn Doctor Strange hasn't actually been killed. In fact, at the last minute, he teleported away into dimensions unknown. After some solid supervillain berating, Dormammu tells Mordo to just chill until Strange arrives back on Earth. Meanwhile, Clea is overhearing all of this and continues to be very sad. From here on out, just assume that when I mention Clea, she's weeping her eyes out. We then go to some extremely trippy Ditko art as Doctor Strange tumbles through the dimensions. He arrives eventually in front of an alien lady. She wears mostly orange with a white and blue vest. Her orange jumpsuit, including a hood, which has some holes in it for a ponytail and a top knot and two little pigtails in the front of her head. It's a very weird hair situation here, is what I'm saying. This lady won't have a name until she's mentioned in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe Mystic Arcana, the Book of Marvel Magic, in 2007, aka 42 
two years after her first appearance. Her name is Nazaka, by the way. So basically, Nazaka is a princess, and her rightful rule has usurped by her evil half-sister, Shazana. We know Shazana is evil for two reasons. One, she kills her subjects when they don't bring her nice enough tribute. Two, she never actually speaks her sister's name, even as she sentences her to death which is a total power move, by the way. We also learn that Shazana is a powerful wizard, and Doctor Strange is severely weakened after his fight with Mordo and Dormammu. Naturally, Nazaka and Strange are captured by Shazana's goons. Uh, reason she's evil number three, she has goons. And reason number four, while Nazaka is a blonde, Shazana is a brunette. And Strange passes out when he tries to duel her magically. While Strange is unconscious, we flash the Ancient One into Tibet. He's going in and out of comas. He's in trouble. Back in the Nameless Land. Timeless time. Strange is back awake, and he uses his amulet to hypnotize Shizana's pet monkey lizard, Ubu. We won't learn Ubu's name until 2007 also, just FYI. From Ubu's mind, Strange learns the source of Shizana's power is hidden inside the royal throne. Well, with one thing and another, Strange and Nizaka conspire to get Shizana out of the throne room, and then Strange absorbs all the power from the throne, leaving Shizana powerless, and Nizaka seems poised to retake the throne. Strange then uses this power to teleport away. Note that the third to last panel of this comic features Nizaka and Shizana discussing the future of their kingdom, at which point Doctor Strange Comics passes the Bechdel test only two years into publication, which doesn't really sound great, but might not actually be that bad in terms of Silver Age superhero comics. Quick, someone write their thesis about this. And so we end on a cliffhanger. Next week will be super fun, another showdown with Mordo and or Dormammu. Eternity will show up and we'll swap out dumb teenage superhero human torch stories for awesome over-the-top stories of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, before I go, I'd like to thank the excellent Doctor Strange fan site at neilalien.com for both the Doctor Strange chronology they have host that we're currently using, and again for their Many Faces of Doctor Strange article which inspired the podcast logo. If you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com, all one word, or interact with the show on Facebook at Stranger by the Dozen, Twitter at Stranger by the Twelve, that's Stranger by the One Two, on Tumblr at Stranger by the Dozen tumblr.com and on instagram at stranger by the dozen during the week i'm going to try to post a bunch of images and quotes from the issues covered this week so keep an eye out you can find stranger by the dozen on itunes stitcher google play store and any other podcasting app please like and review the show wherever you find it i'd really appreciate it until then faithful reader i say and then nothing remains but the silence a silence so thick so heavy one can almost feel it but let no man break that silence, for within its awesome depths stands the figure of Doctor Strange, pondering, lost in thought, waiting for the next challenge to his mystic power. And when that challenge comes, you shall be there to share it with him and this, the most acclaimed new series in the annals of necromancy. Until next week, may the Vishanti guide your path. <laughs>